Welcome to Bandcamp. My name's Jennifer. And I'm Dan, and this is the podcast where we read banned books and try to figure out why they were banned in the first place. And this season, we are tackling the adventures of Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain. Just a heads up, we're going to be spoiling it since we're reading the book out loud. So if you need to catch up, you can go over to Bandcamp Season 4, Episode 1, and you can catch up that way. Uh, we welcome you to join us over at Instagram. You can follow us at Bandcamp underscore podcast. We will put the direct link in our show notes. And now, before Jennifer starts reading Chapter 24, let's roll in the third member of our team. He is our trusty robot. He's going to give us a brief overview of where we left off in the story. Look at this guy. Last time on Bandcamp, we witnessed the Duke and King Shakespearean shenanigans, a performance so bad it could have been banned for lack of talent alone. Huck found himself in the middle of a scam gone wild and an Arkansas town that couldn't tell Hamlet from a ham sandwich. What happens next? You're about to find out. So with that being said, let's begin Chapter 24 of The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Next day, toward night, we laid up under a little willow towhead out in the middle, where there was a village on each side of the river, and the duke and the king begun to lay out a plan for working them towns. Here they go again, Dan. Here they go again. Another adventure or a scam. Like, that's the thing. We don't want all adventures to be scams. Well, these guys do, though. Yeah. Jim, he spoke to the duke, and he said he hoped it wouldn't take but a few hours because it got mighty heavy and tiresome to him when he had to lay all day in the wigwam. Wigwam! No, 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 no. I do not care what the British <laughs> glam rock band from the 70s, The Sweet, says. It is not pronounced that way. Just try a little wigwam band. No, thank you. It is pronounced wigwam. They're, they're making him stay in there all day tied with the rope? I guess it's because of their story that they had to come up with. Right? Like he's a runaway and they captured him and that's... Oh, I don't like it. You know. It's awful. He's just in there like literally like a piece of material tied up, left in the wigwam. Wigwam. In their story, Jim does not belong to them. Right? To who? Jim is a runaway... Oh, yes. That these guys captured and they're returning him yes. for the money. So that's the idea. Yeah. Why didn't they I, just say, like, instead of that stupid long thing, why didn't they just say, no, Jim belongs to us? I know, right? It would be the, the <laughs> shortest distance between two lines. Like, what is that? I I don't know, but they're I don't like They're printing out it. flyers. They're, it's like, what are you doing? Make it simple. Easy. Right. Easy for everyone. Like, I wouldn't want to be Jim tied up in the boat all day. And then he's got to play along if something does happen. And in right. fact, what if somebody just comes in and sees the flyer laying there? Oh, yeah. And they're like, oh, $200? Where's my little knife? Cut his rope? Let's or go. just You're take them with me. all tied up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that and, would even be. You know, yeah. it's like he's tied up on some type of raft. What if something happens and he drowns? Because he can't swim because he's tied up. Yes. Not uh, well thought out. Well, so anyways, I also hope for Jim's sake it doesn't take very long. You see, when we left him all alone, we had to tie him. 
Because if anybody happened on to him all by himself and not tied, it wouldn't look much like he was a runaway N-word, you know. So the Duke said it was kind of hard to have to lay roped up all day, and he'd cipher out some way to get around it. You know, that's the good thing about these people. Like, they can probably come up with an alternative plan. But it's going to be so convoluted. Like, we'll see what they come up with. It's probably (laughs) not going to be the shortest distance between two points, though. He was uncommon bright, the Duke was, and he soon struck it. He dressed Jim up in King Lear's outfit. Here we go. It was a long curtain calico gown with a white horsehair wig and whiskers. A disguise. Simple, easy. And then he took his theater paint and painted Jim's face and hands and ears and neck all over a dead, dull, solid blue. Like a man that's been drowned nine days. So now he's got to be blue? Yeah. (laughs) They wouldn't be, even though this didn't exist back then, he... A better lie would have been, oh, yeah, he's part of the blue man group. They blew him. I'm afraid I just blew myself. There's got to be a better way to say that. Yeah, this this is terrible. Like, it, it just points out how stupid it is that if Jim is painted blue with fake wig and whiskers, no problem. But if he's black, that's, like, illegal or something, you know? Like, chain him up and put him in a slave camp. It's ridiculous. I think that's why Mark Twain, Sam Clemens, whatever, is pointing out he could be blue with weird hair and weird beard, and he's totally fine. But if he's black, that's, you know, that's not good. He's got to be enslaved. I know we can't go back in time, but Mark Twain, Samuel Clemens, you don't have to hit us over the head. How dumb were your contemporaries back then? I think they were pretty dumb because you have to remember, this is just out of the Civil War. People's minds weren't changed yet. Like, you think about Hmm. how people's minds still aren't really changed that much. Well, that's true. That is true. Think about how it was in 1880, you know? Anyways. Blamed if he wasn't the horriblest looking outrage I ever see. Then the Duke took out and wrote a sign on a shingle that said, Sick Arab, but harmless when not out of his head. (laughs) So it's kind of (laughs) like warning dog will bite type of (laughs) sign, right? Like, don't come near. He's sick. And he's nuts. Stay away. (laughs) (laughs) He nailed that shingle to a lathe and stood the lathe up four or five foot in front of the wigwam. Jim was satisfied. He said it was a sight better than lying tied a couple of years every day and trembling all over every time there was a sound. Oh, my God, that's so sad. Imagine that, like just being terrified if you hear anything like they're going to come get me. And like he's literally outside on a creaky raft. In mm. nature, where there's got to be noise all the time. Mm. Ah, it's well, now he's safe. Now that they turned him into a, a scary smurf, he's going to be all right now. <laughs> Just a sick smurf. Don't anybody come near me. The Duke told him to make himself free and easy. And if anybody ever come meddling around, he must hop out of the wigwam and carry on a little and fetch a howl or two like a wild beast. And he reckoned they would light out and leave him alone which was sound enough judgment, but you take the average man and he wouldn't wait for him to howl. Why, he didn't only look like he was dead, he looked considerable more than that. These rapscallions wanted to try the nonsuch again, because there was so much money in it, but they judged it wouldn't be safe because maybe the news might have worked along down by this time. Oh, so they want to do their little show in a new town. Yeah. 
They couldn't hit no project that suited exactly, so at last the Duke said he reckoned he'd lay off and work his brains an hour or two and see if he couldn't put up something on the Arkansas village. And the king he allowed he would drop over to the other village without any plan, but just trust in Providence to lead him the profitable way, meaning the devil, I reckon. We had all bought store clothes where we had stopped last, and now the king put his in on, and he told me to put mine on. I done it, of course. The king's duds was all black, and he did look real swell and starchy. I never knowed how clothes would change a body before. He's dressed for success. Hi, I'm Dan. And my name's Jennifer, and we're from Bandcamp, a comedy podcast where we read banned books and try to figure out why they were banned in the first place. Season six of Bandcamp premieres on June 4th, and we picked a fantastic book for this season. And the name of the book is Aristotle and Dante Discover the Secrets of the Universe by Benjamin Allier Science. It's our first contemporary book. It explores friendship and sexuality through the experiences of two Mexican-American teenagers living in El Paso in the 80s. If you are new to Bandcamp, each season we read an entire book. In each episode of that season, Jennifer reads the chapter out loud and we comment and try to have fun as we go. New episodes drop every Tuesday and Thursday. So please join us as we try and figure out why Aristotle and Dante discover the secrets of the universe could have ever been banned. But I bet we're not going to find anything because banning books is stupid. Season 6 premieres on June 4th. See you there. I like that they're using starchy. <laughs> like you'd think it would be negative, but man, he looks starchy. <laughs> Why, before he looked like the old rip that ever was. But now, when he take off his new white beaver and make a bow and do a smile, he looked that grand and good and pious that you'd say he had walked right out of the ark and maybe was as old as Leviticus himself. Jim cleaned up the canoe, and I got my paddle ready. There was a big steamboat laying at the shore away up yonder the point, about three mile above the town. Been there a couple of hours, taking on freight, says the king. Seeing how I'm dressed, I reckon maybe I better arrive down from St. Louis or Cincinnati or some other big place. Go for the steamboat, Huckleberry. Welcome down to the village on her. I didn't have to be ordered twice to go and take a steamboat ride. I think that Mark Twain or Samuel Clemens or whatever, I think that Huck Finn is a stand-in for him, right? Because he came to the realization he was a dumb kid, too, at one point, who believed all the bullshit he was told about Black people. Yeah. He yeah. must have come to the realization, and he's bearing that out in Huckleberry Finn. And then you come across these little nuggets, like, I didn't have yeah. to be ordered twice to go and take a steamboat ride. It's like, okay, well, we know that about Mark Twain. Right. I fetched the shore a half mile above the village and then went scooting along the bluff bank in the easy water. Pretty soon we come to a nice, innocent-looking young country Jake sitting on a log, swabbing the sweat off of his face, for it was powerful warm weather, and he had a couple of big carpet bags by him. Run her nose in shore, says the king. I done it. Where are you bound for, young man? For the steamboat, going to Orleans. Get aboard, says the king. Hold on a minute, my servant will help you with them bags. Jump out and help the gentleman, Adolphus, meaning me, I see. I done so, and then we all three started on again. The young chap was mighty thankful, said it was tough work toting his baggage such weather. 
He asked the king where he was going, and the king told him he'd come down the river and landed at the other village this morning, and now he was going up a few miles to see an old friend on a farm up there. The young fellow says, When I first see you, I says to myself, It's Mr. Wilkes, sure, and he'd come mighty near getting here in time. But then I says again, No, it ain't him, or else he wouldn't be paddling up the river. You ain't him, are you? I sense an opportunity here. Here's something. False identity. Uh, not yep. false identity. What is this? Identity theft. He's going to impersonate someone. I sense oh. an opportunity for him. All right. Oh, but he doesn't take it. Oh, listen to this. Okay. No, my name's Blodgett. Alexander Blodgett. Reverend Alexander Blodgett. I suppose I must say, as I'm one of the Lord's poor servants. But still, I'm just as able to be sorry for Mr. Wilkes for not arriving in time all the same. If he's missed anything by it, which I hope he hasn't. Wait, why did you just say he didn't take it? And then he just because, came up with a new name. Because the kid was like, it's Mr. Wilkes. Are you Mr. Wilkes? And instead of saying, yes, I'm Mr. Wilkes, he's like, no, I'm Alexander Blodgett. Yeah, okay. I think it's funny that like he had a name handed to him. No, right. I'm going off the board. <laughs> <laughs> well, he don't miss any property by it because he'll get that all right. But he's missed seeing his brother Peter die which he mayn't mind. Nobody can tell as to that. But his brother would have give anything in this world to see him before he died. Never talked about nothing else all these three weeks. Hadn't seen him since they was boys together and hadn't ever seen his brother William at all. That's the deep and dumb one. William ain't more than 30 or 35. Peter and George were the only ones that come out here. George was the married brother. Him and his wife both died last year. Boy, this is a lot of information to keep in my head. I know. It's ridiculous. But at least he's getting a lot of information. Like, this kid must be a real motor mouth or something. Harvey and William's the only ones that's left now. As I was saying, they haven't got here in time. Did anybody send him word? Oh, yes, a month or two ago, when Peter was first took. He must have gotten sick. I mean, I guess took means taken with a took disease, ill. probably. Okay, yeah. took ill, yeah, right. Yeah. Because Peter said then that he sorter felt like he weren't going to get well this time. You see, he was pretty old. And George's urals, <laughs> it took me a while to figure out how to say that. And George's girls. Oh, gyros. Yeah, yeah. Gyro. Oh, girls. Oh, it's not a, <laughs> not a gyro. Gyro. No, not a, not a hero. <laughs> and George's girls was too young to be much company for him except Mary Jane, the redheaded one. Oh boy, he's giving him all kinds of information. Now oh he's got a God. description of yeah. <laughs> what she looks like. And so he was kinder loathsome after George and his wife died and didn't seem to care much to live. He most desperately wanted to see Harvey and William too, for that matter, because he was one of them kind that can't bear to make a will. He left a letter behind for Harvey and said he told in it where his money was hid here comes an adventure. And how he wanted the rest of the property divided up so George's girls would be all right. For George didn't leave nothing. And that letter was all they could get him to put a pen to. Why do you reckon Harvey don't come? Where does he live? He lives in England. Sheffield preaches there. Hasn't ever been in this country. He hasn't had any too much time. And besides, he mightn't have got the letter at all, you know. Too bad, too bad he couldn't have lived to see his brothers, poor soul. 
You going to Orleans, you say? Yes, but that ain't only a part of it. I'm going in a ship next Wednesday for Rio Janeiro, where my uncle lives. That must be Rio de Janeiro, I'm guessing. Yeah, that's what I'd assume. This kid gives a lot of information. It's a pretty long journey, but it'll be lovely. I wished I was going. Is Mary Jane the oldest? How old are the others? <laughs> He's going to mine them for all the information right, he needs. Right, right. Mary Jane's 19. Susan's 15 and Joanna's about 14. That's the one that gives herself to good works and has a hair lip. What's a hair lip? Sounds like something my mom has. <laughs> no, well, you can't say that. You don't know what a hair lip is. I can't say that. It's my mom. <laughs> what? No, I, no, a hair lip. I don't think they're called hair lips anymore. Hair lip is the, a deformity. Oh, like a cleft? Cleft lip. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Okay, so offensive language. Antiquated yeah. and offensive. Yeah. Okay. Poor things to be left alone in the cold world so. Well, they could be worse off. Here's more information, I guess. <laughs> Old Peter had friends, and they ain't going to let them come to no harm. There's Hobson, the Baptist preacher, and Deacon Lot Hobby and Ben Rucker, and Abner Shackelford, and Levi Bell, the lawyer, and Dr. Robinson, and their wives, and the widow Bartley, and, well, there's a lot of them, but these are the ones that Peter was thickest with, and used to write about sometimes, and when he wrote home, so Harvey'll know where to look for friends when he gets here. This is almost too much information, because how are you going to remember any of this? I bet these con men have a system of remembering stuff like this. You think so? That's why I am not a con man. I can't remember what I, I, I can't remember what you said like two minutes ago. <laughs> well, the old man went on asking questions till he just barely emptied that young fellow. Blamed if he didn't inquire about everybody and everything in that blessed town and all about the Wilkeses and about Peter's business, which was a tanner, and about George's, which was a carpenter, and about Harvey's, which was a dissentering minister, and so on, and so on. Then he says, what do you want to walk all the way up to the steamboat for? Because she's a big Orleans boat, and I was afeard she mightn't stop there. When they're deep, they won't stop for a hail. A Cincinnati boat will, but this is a St. Louis one. Was Peter Wilkes well off? Oh, yes, pretty well off. He had houses and land, and it's reckoned he left three or four thousand in cash hid up summers. When did you say he died? I didn't say, but it was last night. Funeral tomorrow, likely? Yes, about the middle of the day. Well, it's all terrible sad, but we've all got to go, one time or another. So what we want to do is to be prepared, and then we're all right. Yes, sir, it's the best way. Ma used to always say that. When we struck the boat, she was about done loading, and pretty soon she got off. The king never said nothing about going aboard, so I lost my ride after all. When the boat was gone, the king made me paddle up another mile to a lonesome place. You know, Huck must be, like his arms must be, <laughs> like he's paddling all over the place, right? He's like Popeye. That's right. <laughs> he and Jim have these novelty arms. <laughs> I'm Popeye the Sailor Man. And then he got ashore and says, now hustle back right off and fetch the Duke up here and the new carpet bags. And if he's gone over to the other side, go over there and get him and tell him to get himself up regardless. Shove along now. 
I see what he was up to, but I never said nothing, of course. Hmm. That's yeah, he he's basically Huck, go over there and get the other con man because we have a big con to pull off right now. Yeah, and Huck is like, I never said nothing, of course. Why is he doing this? He knows it's wrong, I think, right? Why is he in the middle of all this bullshit? This isn't doing himself any favors. It could. Maybe he'll make some money, but he but he's a good guy. So yeah, no, you're right. I don't I don't get it. He he should he and Jim should get out. I know doing. They gotta separate. I Meanwhile, Jim is like painted up blue. He's got like it's like, what are you this is not a real good plan, Huck. I see what he was up to, but I never said nothing, of course. When I got back with the Duke, we hid the canoe, and then they sat down on a log, and the king told him everything, just like the young fellow had said it, every last word of it. And all the time he was a doing it, he tried to talk like an Englishman. And he done it pretty well, too, for a slouch. I can't imitate him, and so I ain't going to try, but he really done it pretty good. Then he says, How are you on the deep and dumb, Bilgewater? The Duke said, Leave him alone for that. Said he had played a deep and dumb person on the histrionic boards. So then they waited for a steamboat. About the middle of the afternoon, a couple of little boats come along, but they didn't come from high enough up the river. But at last, there was a big one, and they hailed her. She sent out her yarrow, and we went aboard. She was from Cincinnati, and when they found we only wanted to go four or five miles, they was booming mad, and gave us a cussing, and said they wouldn't land us. But the king was calm. He says, if gentlemen can afford to pay a dollar a mile apiece to be took on and put off in a yarrow, a steamboat can afford to carry him, can't it? So they softened down and said it was all right. And when we got to the village, they yawled us ashore. About two dozen men flocked down when they see the yawl a-coming. And when the king says, Can any of you gentlemen tell me where Mr. Peter Wilkes lives? They give a glance at one another and nodded their heads as much to say, What I tell you? Then one of them says, kind of soft and gentle, I'm sorry, sir, but the best we can do is to tell you where he did live yesterday evening. Here he goes. Here it begins. Yep. <laughs> is he going to break down in tears now? Yeah. I think he's yeah. going to put on a show, a real show. Because when this guy, man, when he gets riled up and he's doing his poor pirate move or whatever, mm-hmm. this is going to be good. For sure. Sudden as winking, the ornery old creature went all to smash. Did you read ahead, Dan? <laughs> no. I, to be fair, even if I did, I would not know what all to smash means. <laughs> and fell up against the man and put his chin on his shoulder and cried down his back and says alas alas our poor brother gone and we never got to see him oh it's too too hard then he turns around blubbering and makes a lot of idiotic signs to the duke on his hands and blamed if he didn't drop a carpet bag and bust out a crying if they weren't the beatenest lot them two frauds that ever I struck. The men gathered around and sympathized with them and said all sorts of kind things to them and carried their carpet bags up the hill for them and let them lean on them and cry and told the king all about his brother's last moments and the king he told it all over again on his hands to the duke and both of them took on about that dead tanner like they'd lost the twelve disciples. Well, it was enough to make a body ashamed of the human race. 
end of chapter. So Huck didn't like these two idiots taking advantage of mourning people. Right. Well, and like, there is a difference, right? If you're just going to put on a goofy play or maybe swindle, you know what? Maybe there isn't a big difference. It just the thing you're swindling, the amount of the swindle is bigger. Ah. And you're playing with like... Emotions. Emotions. Like, yeah. Like really big emotions. Like it's a big deal if your friend dies, if someone yeah. you care about dies. Like that. that is the worst time to take advantage of someone. Jeez. I, I, I'm with Huck on this one. It is enough to make a body ashamed of the human race. Absolutely. It's time for PPP, problematic points to ponder. What, if anything, would be considered banworthy in this chapter? Okay, so Dan, let's jump into PPP here. In this chapter, I, I can't think of any reason why it would be banned for this chapter. J painting Jim blue and saying that he's, you know, a, a sick, sick Arab, Arab is, is just seems not right. Yeah. But is that bannable though? Like it, and, and there, there's like some insulting words, like the hair lip thing. Well, that was you. That wasn't oh, that's me. Right. It was <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we've caused enough literary chaos for today. Thank you for listening, scary book people. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with one person to whom it would add value. Bandcamp is produced and hosted by Jennifer Davis and me, Dan Schultz. All media used in this production was done so under the protection of a fair use. See you guys next time. Bye.